0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. This is the part of our show where we help you go deeper in your faith through both the study of God and through edifying discussions with our students. In today's episode, you're going to hear part one of our Advancing the Kingdom of God class, after the lesson, I'll be joined for discussion and Q&A by two of our students and Good Lion interns, Kai Wilbanks and Julianne Foster. Today's lesson is titled, What is the Kingdom of God and What is it All About? You're listening to the Good Lion Theology Class. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron Salvado, and welcome to my class on Advancing the Kingdom of God. Today we're gonna talk about what it looks like to take God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, what does it look like to take it out of the theoretical and bring it into the practical, real world tangible? What specifically does it mean to advance God's kingdom? That's the question that we're gonna get at today. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. First of all, I want to have us look at some verses that I'm sure many of us have seen many, many times. And that's Matthew 6, verses nine through 10. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how many of us have heard these words before? I'm assuming a lot. But the question we wanna get at is, what do these words actually mean? I wanna answer the question, what does it look like for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? When Jesus says this, what do those words actually mean? So if you've grown up in the church, you've most likely heard that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that this phrase being included in the Lord's prayer has sort of led to a lot of us in the church trivializing it, downplaying it. We can see it as just a phrase, you know, something that people say, sort of about as consequential as that classic bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which kind of sounds creepy like i know what they mean by that but it also kind of makes me think of like the grim reaper coming to steal your soul so i i don't know that's that's not the point of this class what i'm trying to say is that we're so used to it we're so familiar with it that we downplay it and we trivialize it it's sort of like we think you know it's as if the disciples came to jesus and said lord teach us how to pray and jesus sort of just pulled this prayer out of thin air, you know, oh, that sounds good. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, Yeah, perfect. There you go. That's my sweet little prayer, guys. But you have to think about the context. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the apostles, the ones that he chose to lead the church. These are handpicked men chosen to carry out the mission of God, the same mission that's been going on since the Old Testament. I think it's important for us to note that. To Jesus, prayer is serious business. Prayer is this way for God and humans to connect, to commune with one another, to talk to one another. Jesus himself would go off in the wilderness for days just to be alone with God and to pray. Jesus has a mission and prayer is the fuel driving that mission, that connection with God, allowing him to understand God's heart and God's mission for the world. And in the same way, those of us who are disciples of Jesus are able to connect with God in the same way. Through prayer, we are able to be connected with God's heart and God's mission for the world. So Jesus's words here, must be understood it's not just a little nice prayer this is important stuff he's laying out something very specific for us and so jesus says again when you pray say these words god your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now the first thing i want to point out is those words right your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven those are actually really hard words to pray because essentially what we're saying is god i want your will to come here and now and the thing is for most of us as sinful fleshly humans we have this disposition in us to wake up every day and actually say a different prayer and it's my kingdom come my will be done in my life as it is in my imagination, which is really just the heart of the prosperity gospel, right? It's this idea of your best life now. God exists to give you the house and the boat and the good job with the good salary and your, all your kids get to go to college and all that stuff. That really is just not what Jesus is getting at. When Jesus says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not saying, yeah, just pray that everything goes perfect for you. That's God's will. I mean, really that, that kind of thinking is a slap in the face to the persecuted church all throughout the world there's currently right now places like syria and china where christians are having to run from a oppressive tyrannical government, driving them into meeting underground, underground churches hidden away. And and, and they're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And yet life is a challenge for them. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that. Quite often, God's will coming means that we have to give up our lives and our dreams for his glory, because it's not our kingdom that we're living for. It's a higher kingdom. And that kingdom is called the kingdom of heaven. And it's One of Jesus's core main messages, a lot of times in Christianity, we grow up thinking that the core main message is just, hey, I died on the cross so that you don't have to go to hell when you die. So here's your get out of jail free card, Christian, go and do whatever you want. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. If you read the gospels and you look all throughout the story, Jesus is traveling up and down the countryside saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is among you. It's one of Jesus's core and main messages, but quite often it's really, really, really misunderstood. And misunderstandings are never helpful. So I remember seeing this illustration of a guy who goes and he gets this Hebrew word tattoo on his arm. And when his friends asked him, bro, what does that tattoo mean? He was like, oh man, I think it's the Hebrew word for strength. That's what I think. And then they looked it up and it was actually just the Hebrew word for matzah, uh, which is like that little cracker that we have during communion. Uh, And so (laughs) it's, it's a misunderstanding. He thought he was getting a strength tattoo, but really he was getting a communion cracker, unleaded bread tattoo. Misunderstandings are not usually ever helpful. And I think quite often we misunderstand what the kingdom of God even is. So let's stop for a second and let's talk about heaven. All right, heaven. So I think a lot of times we as Christians exist in sort of this false dichotomy where we're pitting heaven and earth against each other. Heaven is good, earth is corrupted and evil and bad, and we hope it dies and blows up one day. Heaven is this far off cloud land and earth is this sinful, wicked place, and you must choose which one you will live for. It's so easy for Christians to fall into two camps when it comes to heaven, focus on either here and now, or focus on the afterlife. Rarely do we ever focus on the both. Sometimes I view it as like, you know, you've got this big gymnasium, right? And you've got the two teams against one another. And on one side, the team is yelling, more heaven, and the fans are cheering. And then on the other side, the other team is going, more earth, more life now. And and, and those fans are cheering. And I, I think we see this played out in different ways. Like for instance, here's a quote from Gary Scott Smith, who looks a lot like Todd Packer from The Office. He says, if an afterlife exists, worldliness is escapism. So this idea of, hey, if a, if a heaven exists, you enjoying earth in any way is probably sinful and you should just live a life of complete piety and don't have any earthly pleasures like eating good food or listening to a great song or going to a concert. No, no, no. All of that stuff is really, really bad. And you should just go to church and sing hymns forever until you die and go to heaven and then you'll sing more hymns and it'll, it'll be it'll be great. Now on the other side you've got guys like uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick who said our mission is not to get men into heaven but to bring heaven to earth. Basically this idea of we need to create this perfect utopia in the here and now. We need to make earth perfect. And this plays into a lot of what we know as the social gospel which was the idea of, it's not about leading people to Christ. It's not about saving souls. It's actually about ending all injustice here on earth, ending all poverty, ending all war, ending all sickness, uh, ending all injustice. And Really, what we have there is a false gospel. Great intentions, great intentions, wanting to make the world a better place, but missing the core element of the world can't become a better place without the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming lives and hearts. And that's why I think we need to ask, what do we actually know about heaven? When I was a youth pastor, I texted some of my students and I just asked them, hey guys, what do you think heaven is? And I got a lot of interesting responses. One girl was like, oh, heaven is a castle, a castle on a cloud. And I was like, uh, no, it's not. (laughs) Another person was like, oh, bro, heaven is a never ending worship service. Just singing good, good father for thousands and millions and billions of years and I was like bro if that if that's what heaven is like I I don't know I don't know if that's where I want to go no I'm just kidding I I definitely would but but it it, it's a very limited view of heaven I think I had other people say things like one student said oh heaven is just sort of a nebulous fluffy cloud land another student said oh I think there's going to be naked baby angels floating around everywhere while there may be some truth to some of these examples, there, there are extremely limited views of heaven that are more based on pop culture than actually what scripture teaches us. There's so much more to the picture. And this this leads us to the problem where because we're not often thinking biblically about heaven, we are at the mercy of our misconceptions. A lot of us have this mentality growing up of this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through like Jim Reeves sang famously. And that's something I've heard a lot growing up, this world is not my home. But, but just stop for a second and think, go back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve. We have this mentality of I wasn't made for earth, I was made for heaven. But I just wanna ask the question, what were Adam and Eve made for? In Genesis, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where did he put Adam and Eve? He put them on earth. (laughs) So if they were made for heaven, why did God put them on earth? Consider this, were Adam and Eve created to die? Was the plan for, hey, Adam and Eve, you're gonna live on earth for 70, 80, 90 years, then you're gonna die, and then you're gonna go to heaven, which is far better than this earth I just created for you. No, that doesn't seem to be the plan. Were Adam and Eve created to die? No, they're put in a garden with a tree of life that is actually supposed to sustain them and give them the ability to exist on earth as eternal beings. And again, where did God put these eternal being humans? He put them on earth. Now think back to the words of Jesus in the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done in some far off heaven? No. Does he say your will be done, your kingdom come, only here on earth alone no what does he say he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and this is so key basically What Jesus is advocating for in that prayer is he is calling us as Christians to fight for the reality that God originally intended. Right there, he is combating the idea that the only place where God's kingdom can exist is just in the future after you die. No, he is saying, right here right now we can fight for what originally was intended see again a lot of the time we think of heaven hell and then earth is sort of this inconsequential afterthought but the reality is earth was a part of what god did in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the reality is before sin entered the picture what you had was heaven God's space, where God lives, where God dwells, where spiritual beings operate. And then earth, the physical realm, where God places humans, those two realms intersected. God places the humans on earth, but then he himself comes to earth. He himself walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. The spiritual realm and the physical realm were together because God was there. He brought the spirit to them. One thing that it blows my mind that we don't talk about enough in the church is that the end of the story of the Bible circles back to where we were at the beginning. The end of the story of the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, God's space and man's space coming together. And so when Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is saying, I want to help people experience the kingdom of God. He's not talking just about where you go when you die. That's an important factor, yes. But he is also talking about helping people experience the presence and the power and the kingdom of God here right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. Jesus is inviting the will of God to invade our earthly space. What's another word for a king's will? It's his rule and his reign. What do you call a place where a king rules? His kingdom. So, the implication of that is if you're a Christian, places like attending a church service, going to a home fellowship, getting together with other believers at a park, things that sound so simple, all of those things are manifestations of the kingdom. Why is that? It's because you have followers of the king coming together and submitting to his rule. Where the king is and where the followers of the king are, that is where the kingdom exists. Even right now, you might be sitting watching this video as a group. You need to understand your small little group watching this video is a manifestation of the kingdom. You're an outpost of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Why? Because you're gathering together to submit to the king, to honor the king, and to learn from the king. Jesus is here, he's present, he's with us where the king is and where his kids are, that's where the kingdom is. Now you might think, wait, so if I'm at the church and I'm attending church on Sunday, that's where the kingdom is. And then if I leave the building, am I leaving the kingdom? No, not at all. Because who do you carry with you in your heart? The king, which is amazing because it means that the kingdom of heaven is portable. You get to carry it with you to your schools, to your home, to your place of work, which is so, so exciting. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is off in the distance. No, he says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's among you. Where the king is, that is where the kingdom is. Now, is heaven a place you go when you die? Yes, absolutely. Is hell a future reality? Is hell a place? Yes. Absolutely. These are final future destinations that one day everybody will have to come to and face. The difference with heaven is it's not only a future destination, it's a present reality. It's something that theologians talk about as the already and not yet. This idea that one day we will go to the future perfected, final kingdom the new heaven and the new earth together fully realized but even though we're not yet there in this point in history we can already tap into that kingdom in the here and now because Jesus brings it to us and allows us to taste it and experience it. When we only view the kingdom as a distant future event, we rob ourselves of the kingdom's present power. It makes me think of my favorite ride at Disneyland, the Cars ride. It's it's amazing. It's fast. It's exciting. The top of your car is down and you can feel the air going past you. Maybe I just need to get a convertible. I don't I don't know. But it's it's my favorite ride. It's me and my wife's favorite ride. We really really enjoy it. But the thing is, it's so popular that the line is extremely long. And so whenever we go to Disneyland, it's like, "Oh man, I can't wait to go on this Cars ride, but oh, it is such a long line. I hate it." Honestly, quite often that's how we Christians whether you're old, whether you're young, senior citizen, everybody, we we tend to view the Christian life this way. Heaven is the ride and we're all in line and life is the line and it's long and it's hard and it's brutal. Uh, I got to get through these trials and tribulations, brother. The Christian life is all about the narrow gate and oh man, that gate is so narrow and uncomfortable. It's like we're this suffering teenager living under our parents' oppressive rules. And the Christian life is all about just rules and regulations and just not having fun until you die. And then you get to have fun and then you get to experience heaven. And I just think that line of thinking is so short-sighted and and really, truly false. There's a little phrase that I feel like the Lord gave me years ago, and I've always said it to my youth when I was a youth pastor, and that's, yeah, the Bible talks about the narrow gate, but the truth is when you walk through the narrow gate, it opens you up to a world that is wider than you could possibly have ever imagined. As Christians, we are not merely meant to just sit around miserably waiting until we die so that we can experience heaven. There is a final future kingdom of God, heaven and earth combo that is literally going to blow our socks off with how amazing it is. But you can right in the here and now experience so much of the kingdom of God. You can experience so much of the love and the joy and the goodness and the fellowship and the mission and the purpose. Like I said, the narrow gate, the narrow road. Yes, it's narrow, but as you pass through it, you'll see it opens you up to a wider world than you could ever possibly live apart from Jesus and apart from his kingdom. So the question is, how? How does this kingdom come? How does the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Well, how does a kingdom come in any sense? A kingdom comes through invasion, through occupation, takeover, usually hostile. But the thing I love is that Jesus' kingdom is different because his plan is not to invade our borders, it's to invade our hearts. Jesus wants to occupy your heart and my heart. He wants to set up his kingdom in our hearts and then advance his kingdom through us, through the church. The heart of the Christian is the first outpost of the kingdom of God. God is not only preparing a place for us, he is preparing us for a place. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what we are to pray and to hope for. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you wanna know how to advance the kingdom of God, the first place you have to start is allowing that kingdom to take root within your own heart. Let's take a moment and let's go to some questions from some of our students here. How are you guys doing? Why don't you introduce yourselves? Hey, everybody. I'm Kyle Banks. Glad to be here with you guys.
1: I'm Julianne Foster and also very excited to be here.
0: Awesome. It's great to have you guys here. Let's let's get to some of your questions. What do you guys got? Go for it.
1: When you're going over the concept, as you know, one day going to heaven, obviously that's that is an end goal at some point, no one will die connecting like heaven and, and the kingdom. Now it's like, uh, it almost seems like a, like a daily process, like a daily thing where you wake up and, and connect with God and, and kind of remind yourself that like, that you're attempting to further the kingdom. And it's not a perfection you're gonna reach every day. It's just a daily process of, of trying to do something for, for furthering the kingdom every day. I was just considering like, what what are some things we can do each day to remind ourselves of this or like small things that are more simple because just talking about furthering the kingdom, that seems like such a huge task and kind of daunting. And so what can we do just as individuals in our, like, our day-to-day busy lives? That's just small actions that can uh, reach that.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Julianne. I think that in a class like this, when we start talking about advancing the kingdom, the first thing that comes to our minds is like, okay, what can we do? How can we actually like manifest this and conjure it up and make it happen? And that's good. It's good to have that heart. And we're going to get to that as we go through the material. But before we get to any of that, I think the way I would answer the question is the most important foundational thing is preaching the gospel. And I'm not even necessarily talking about evangelism only. I'm actually talking about preaching the gospel to yourself. Think about how do people first enter the kingdom? It's through the hearing of the gospel and the believing of the gospel. How do people continue to stay connected to the kingdom? It's, it's continuously connecting with the gospel in our crazy, busy, modern lives where we have work and we spend, you know, five hours a day on our phone, according to our screen time report. We've we've got friends, we've got commitments, we've got activities. And some of us even have, you know, kids or, you know, wives or husbands, tons of obligations. And it's really easy to get swept up in just like the day-to-day struggle of the world. And Christianity just becomes like going to church, reading your Bible, sort of out of this sense of religious duty. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm having a really hard time and I'm going through a struggle, I, then I'll start reading my Bible and praying more. So God will get me through my crisis. And really in doing that, what Christianity becomes is sort of this consumeristic thing where it's just like one aspect of my life, like one slice of the pie, sort of like how we treat exercising. You know, I work out so I can improve myself and I can make my life better. Christianity becomes another slice of the self-help, self-improvement pie. And, and I, I think that Jesus is calling us to really fundamentally reject that ideology. And instead he's saying like, you need to remind yourself constantly what the kingdom is about. Like you need to remind yourself what Jesus died for. He didn't just die for your sins. That, that was a huge part of it, but he also died because he's trying to rebuild his kingdom, like, like the kingdom that was torn apart by sin in the Garden of Eden. Jesus is trying to rebuild that, and he's doing it through humans. He's doing that through the church, and so we need to, we need to stay connected to that reality of life, we're, the reality that like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're a part of a story that's more than just us, and so I think before we do anything, evangelism, missions, work, justice work, any of that kind of stuff. It needs to start with am I connected to the gospel? And I think that comes fundamentally through things like prayer, scripture reading, listening to sermons, going to church, listening to sermons on podcasts, which we have, you know, such an amazing resource of these days. But for me, like honestly, sometimes what I need to do is in the middle of a busy workday, I need to just go and take a short walk, you know, 10, 20 minute walk in my neighborhood and just pray and, and and try to remind myself of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, forgiving my sins, giving me a new life and all of the amazing ways he has shown up in my life. I need to to recenter myself on the gospel and I need to preach the gospel to myself. So that that's where I think we should start. Any other questions? Kai, do you have anything for us, man? I had one that I thought
2: I might I might play off a little bit of that that one just now and kind of I'll I'll pose it and see what you guys think. When somebody hears like that that passage and specifically hears that as like Jesus instruction at it for how to be praying, I think it might be a common question to be asked like why do we need to be praying that like why are we praying for god's will to be done for his kingdom to come if he's really god like that we believe him to be isn't that going to happen anyway like why do we need to be why should that be part of our our common in our like practice of prayer oh yeah man yeah excellent excellent
0: question i mean that that's really the question that's at the core of the heart of like the, the big question of why, why should we even pray for sick people? Like, doesn't God just want everyone to be well? Like if my relative gets sick, why do I even need to pray? You know, shouldn't God just want everyone to be healthy? And the reality, at least in my mind, when I look at the, my processing on this and my study is when I look at the story of the Bible, like right there in Genesis one through three, what is God doing? He's taking a world that In the original Hebrew says is wild and waste. In English, we say formless and void. But in the original Hebrew, it was tohu vavohu, which means wild and waste. It's this world that God creates that's wild and has potential. And God puts humans in the middle of it. And he doesn't say, hey, humans, I'm going to take... Every, I'm gonna take care of everything for you. Like, just go, go retire, go, you know, hang out with the animals and just hang out, and 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 you're just kind of like my little pets. No, 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 no. like, like that's not what God says. He actually gives them something to do. He says, "I want you, Adam and Eve, to have responsibility." He says to Adam, "Go and name the animals." Adam and Eve, take care, tend to the garden. Uh, It's like I'm the king and you're the prince, you're the princess. Let's go out into the world and and do something, be fruitful and multiply. It's this idea of like going and advancing the kingdom. That was that was actually the original intention right in, in the garden. It wasn't just for Adam and Eve to exist. It was for them to actually go outside the garden uh, and be fruitful and multiply. Like do you think Adam and Eve were just going to have kids and then their kids would have kids and then they'd all just stay in the garden forever? Like no like o- obviously the population of Adam and Eve's offspring like it couldn't just remain in the garden. the The plan was to expand, to go out from the garden and to do these great things together as as God and humans working together. And so from the very start, God wants to involve humans in the process. The whole point of this human experiment is relationship. It's God wants a relationship with humans. He cares so dang much about us that he's not willing to just do everything. He wants to actually involve us in the process. And so prayer is this invitation to be a part of the process. Like for instance, when I was a youth pastor, there was times where I would need to buy a bunch of groceries for an event. And I would very often bring one of my students with me. And you know, the thing is like going on a grocery run, I don't need a seventh grade boy's help to get those groceries, but I love him. So I want to involve him in that process because as we're buying those groceries and, and buying supplies for that youth event, you know, that crazy all nighter pancake breakfast, hunger games, death match challenge, like that, that sounds like something we probably did as a youth group. The reality is like, I don't need his help, but I invite him to be a part because during the process, we're going to be talking. We're going to be connecting. He's going to understand that I love him and I'm going to experience the relational aspect and friendship with him. And, and that's, that's what I want. Like I don't need him, but I want him to be around. And I think that's a huge part of really like everything like we're talking about like the meaning of life right like god wants his kingdom to come yes he could just snap his fingers like thanos and you know all of a sudden the world is perfect and there's no sin and everything's just right and it's this perfect theocracy with jesus as king but that's not how he chooses to do it he instead wants to get there over time as a process and as we go through that process with him as we join in the mission with him we're going to fall more deeply in love with him and if, if we're doing it the right way and and that's really the heart of what it's all about so I would encourage anybody who's like me who's like a doer <laughs> who connects with God quite often through not Resting and being with him, but going out and doing things for him. The biggest temptation I have is to just go and to try to do things for God's kingdom without praying, without seeking him, without walking with him. And just kind of like this idea of like, oh, I'm a Christian and I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I've got to do these things. And so I'm just going to go and do them. And sometimes God's like, well, no, I actually want you to take a break and like just go and pray. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, it's a super long way to answer, but hopefully it makes sense.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: I've got a question for you guys. How did you feel when I was talking about the idea of heaven as not just a place you go when you die, not just like, you know, this mystical spiritual realm, but the end of the story where God is actually combining, like bringing this reality of a combined heaven and earth. Because when I was growing up, many people didn't Really tell me that they didn't tell me the whole picture, and I had great pastors and great parents and you know my dad was a pastor it's not that they didn't like necessarily know that stuff it was there, but for some reason in the church culture that I grew up in and, and many of my peers grew up in from what i've heard the emphasis was always about heaven the the spiritual realm as in you know to be absent from the body is to be present with christ so if i were to die right now i would go to be in his presence in the spiritual realm but but sort of like that idea of like this mystical spiritual nebulous realm with streets of gold and all these kind of things but not this idea of the synthesis of heaven and earth as our final destination and so i just i just want to explore that like what do you guys think? What's going through your head when I talk about that? Is there any pushback or, you know, I don't I don't know. Like, is there any thought of like, well, that's not how I grew up hearing it. I'd love to get your guys' thoughts. So
2: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was, as you were talking about that, I kind of had those same thoughts like that in recent like years and as I I've studied it myself and kind of just learned more, like I have come to gain more of an understanding of like that heaven will be less of that spiritual mystical realm but and more of like what god really intended originally intended for like earth to be with that when adam and eve were in the garden but i was just like thinking like why why aren't we taught that (laughs) like i know i know like in like in the bible and revelation like there's not it's not laid out like exactly what heaven's going to be like but i know there's enough for us to have that understanding and I, i wish like churches would at least do like a kind of like a step-by-step like study of what there is in there so that we'd have that that right understanding because i I did i definitely grew up with an idea and not even that great an idea of like what heaven was going to be like but just like the like it's just going to be one endless like we're just going to be worshiping forever and there's going to be streets of gold and so i have this picture in my head of like I guess golden streets and big fields, and maybe we can all fly, and I can, <laughs> I can like fly around and do cool stuff that I wish I could do. But then we're just going to be like worshiping and singing forever, and it sounds cool, but it doesn't? It doesn't sound like something that I really want to be doing for all of eternity. And so I, I think there has been kind of like a, like, I don't know, like a not a, not a thorough enough teaching of of what to expect for eternity within the church.
1: I think hearing about earth and heaven being more connected rather than separate is a lot more comforting for me personally because as a kid growing up, I got this idea of heaven as someone, I don't know who it was, but someone kind of explained it to me when I was a kid. I latched onto this idea that every good deed you did for God you got something in heaven so in my little kid mind i had this idea of like some type of like mansion or something and there was gold streets connecting everyone's mansions and like your house would just fill with stuff the more you did for god and and it was just kind of like in my head it was like oh cool but then i was like that's kind of just like oh yeah and like sometimes you get to like go talk to god whenever you want but then it just it i don't know it felt like unrealistic or it just didn't i didn't have a lot of like connection with it. It was just kind of like, oh, cool, whatever. But then I think I've been hearing more and more of this like heaven and earth connecting recently. And that was really cool because as I got older, I was starting to fall in love with the life that I have on earth. And so I, I for a while got detached. I was like, I almost didn't want to go to heaven forever and have this life completely change. Like life can be painful, but it can be beautiful too. And so I think when I heard the concept of, of, earth and heaven coming together and such and and it was it was comforting because i was like oh like it, it's just gonna be earth but just so much better it's it's not gonna be this you know super obviously we don't you know we don't really know too much about it but it's not super scary mystical like i don't know it's it just felt more at home for me like like yeah
0: mm, that's good yeah I, I like where you guys are going with that i i, I think it's important for us not to throw the baby out with the bathwater necessarily. I, I think a lot of the pictures that we've been given at a young age of heaven, it's not that they're wrong. It's just that they're incomplete. Like for instance, you know, take the singing thing. In in my lesson I joked earlier and, and Kai, you said the same thing, like, oh, if heaven's just this ongoing worship service, like I don't know if I want to go there, man. And that's coming from you know kai you're you're a worship leader, <laughs> uh, you love to worship, but you know the the truth is if that's all heaven was, it doesn't make sense to our finite human minds, but like the reality is the presence of the Lord is going to be so mind blowing that literally if all we did do in heaven was just sing forever, like I know now hearing that we're like, I don't know if that's all I'd want to do, but the pleasure we would experience from being in God's presence, singing to him is actually like enough to sustain us for all eternity. So it's not that I think it's wrong necessarily, like it would be wrong if that's all heaven was. I just don't think that's all heaven is. I think that that's not the complete picture and it's not the complete picture the Bible paints. I think there's going to be singing in heaven. Uh, I think there's going to be like intense amazing worship services. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like a daily or weekly thing or whatever. I don't know how it works because there's so much about heaven that the Bible doesn't actually tell us. But I think based on what we actually do know, we see in the scripture, there's pictures of angels and what are they doing? Like they're, they're sitting around the throne of God, praising him, (laughs) you know, Hosanna in the highest. They're sitting before the throne of God praising. So that's going to be an aspect of heaven. Absolutely. Let's go to like the whole thing about the streets of gold, right? So the thing is, there's verses in the Bible that talk about this. Well, really, there's just one verse. I believe it's, let's see, yeah, I'm looking it up. It's Revelation twenty-one twenty-one, And it says, the great street of the city was of gold and as pure as transparent glass. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. So it's going to be the the new established Jerusalem on the new heaven and new earth. So like i said it's like we have this kind of incomplete picture like when we think of heaven it's just oh fluffy cloudland and all of the streets are gold because we've got this one verse but no we're talking about a new heaven and a new earth and then there is there's cities there's cities on this earth one of the cities is the new jerusalem and according to John's vision, he sees streets of gold. And so either the streets are literally gold or uh, gold was the only word that John could think of to describe the amazing mind-blowing stuff that he was seeing. That's the thing in the scriptures, you get guys like Paul and John who catch a glimpse of heaven, and they're trying to use human words to describe the undescribable. So, you know, imagine earth, but not just earth, the spiritual realm layered on top of it all. Like that's that's going to be amazing like like full of wonders and amazingness and there can be kind of like a fear almost too when we're talking about the new heaven and new earth because it's like oh i thought i thought heaven was going to be amazing and like magical but it's really just going to be earth like that's lame i don't want just earth here's where we need to get that idea out of our head because it's not just earth it's heaven and earth physical and spiritual like perfectly married together. It, like our human, our finite sinful human minds can't even fully comprehend what this is going to be like, but it's going to be amazing. Like imagine that your only experience with cake was that you had only just had a crumb of cake. Yeah, it's it's cake. Like you can say that you've had cake, but you haven't truly experienced cake. It's, it's just a crumb. And you know, the, the way that heaven's going to work, it's not going to be like, oh, like you've never experienced cake. You've had the crumb, but your crumb is going to get destroyed. And then, oh, here's something completely different, like broccoli. Like, no, God wants you to experience what cake was always meant to be. Uh, you were always supposed to get the cake, but because of sin, you're just left with the crumbs. And like you might like the taste of the crumbs, but it's not the full story because you haven't had the full cake yet. You know, as, as far as things like, you know, mansions and and rewards in heaven, I don't necessarily know if we're all going to get like, you know, MTV Cribs style mansions, but I think there's going to be houses on the new heaven and earth, I think there's going to be waves to surf and exciting, fun things to do and adventures to have and forests to explore and worship services to be had and gatherings of people that get together and discuss ideas and learn. Like, this is something I was talking with a friend of mine recently, but we are just imagining like, you know, going to heaven and, you know, the speculation of like, oh, what's it like, like to experience discovering the mysteries of the world, right? Like the thing we, we, you always say things like, like, oh, we don't know that now, but one day we'll get to heaven and then we'll know. And what is that going to be like? Is that going to be like, you know, in the matrix where it's like, you get a little USB and then you plug it into your neck and all of a sudden, like all of the wonders of the universe are unlocked. Um, I mean, that's possible, but this is just speculation. But part of me wonders because our relationship with God has been so much about discovery you know when you date somebody and fall in love with them there's an aspect of that love being formed through organic natural discovery my question would be when we get to heaven is it going to be all of the secrets of the universe are just known to us automatically or are we gonna have all of eternity to seek and to ask and to learn? That idea just sounds super exciting to me. Like just imagine, you know, having a sesh with Jesus where you're walking through the woods and asking him like, what's the deal with like the pillar of fire in the desert? Or how did you get a burning bush to talk? What's the deal with that? And, and Jesus sits down and explains it to you. Like, I'm excited about that. So the last thing I wanna to touch on is something that you said in your question that I think relates to this broader topic of the kingdom of heaven and that's this idea of getting rewards in heaven right plenty of scripture verses that reference this idea of how there are rewards awaiting those of us christians who are faithful like as you follow jesus as you live your life for him as you seek first the kingdom of god you're storing up treasures not on earth but in heaven so yeah this is an interesting concept It's this idea that the things that we do on earth have tangible resorts in heaven, in the future kingdom of heaven. And I'll just be honest, I don't know exactly what this means. This is an area in my personal study that I need to do more of, more research. There's been lots of different views by different scholars. Some think, you know, we're talking about like physical, tangible actual money in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if that's the case. Some people think possibly it might be like different degrees of joy. So the more you do for the kingdom of God here and now, the more joy you will experience in the future kingdom of heaven not sure about that either i do know at the very least what it means is god is trying to explain to us that if you live your life in this present reality of earth and you think only you know this is the only life i have left and i've got to get all of the riches all the money all the pleasure that i can it's basically like if you were living for that crumb when the cake was around the corner right here's the thing that we need to remember as a christian we're going to experience the good life on earth because we have Christ. Even if your life on this earth absolutely stinks, like even if you suffer and die of a horrible disease or you lose all of your money, all of that stuff, it's just the crumb, like the the cake is around the corner. And so It's this idea of live your life for the Lord and it's going to make your experience in the new heaven and earth so much more enjoyable. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, anybody who becomes a Christian and then doesn't live the best possible life is going to just be miserable in heaven. No, I think everybody is going to be stoked out of their (laughs) minds in heaven. I think everyone's going to absolutely have their mind blown at the amazingness and the, the beauty of Christ and the kingdom fully realized. But I do think that the things that we do for Jesus in the here and now do have tangible results and effects in what we experience in the new heaven and the new earth and also in the kingdom here and now in the present reality. I think everyone's going to be living their dreams in heaven, but I do think that there is is going to be some sort of reward. I don't know what that is, but I think the focus is focus on Christ now. Like, don't have this weird, greedy mentality of like, I've got to do good deeds so I can get more riches in heaven. Uh, that's not the point of the passage. It, it's Jesus trying to say he wants you to enjoy your cake one day, you know, and he's trying to prepare you for what that cake is like in the future, if that makes sense. Don't live for the crumbs. Live for the future reality. <laughs> I, I use too many cake illustrations. I've, I've done that for uh pretty much forever It's all the way back to starting out in junior high ministry that there's always just been cake analogies i think i just really like cake but anyway that's uh the end today of the class so thank you all for joining and attending and those of you guys watching and i'm excited for the next installment of this so thank you for being here for the class on advancing the kingdom of god